So you think that drafting someone in the fifth round or picking them up late in a dynasty league, you know, just makes you their supporter for the rest of your life? I mean, I think it makes me just the founder. Like I'm the OG. The I'm founder. the OG owner. Oh my god. That that's crazy. Like, okay, was I following him when he was a four star recruit coming out of the greater Atlanta Christian school system as a cornerback? No. Did I turn my Twitter page into a Darius Slayton tribute for two weeks straight last year while simultaneously dubbing him no longer as Darius, but instead as Godius, aka Young Slay, aka the New York football giants undisputed wide receiver one? I did do that. You know, and and during that time, what were you doing? Were you supporting me? No, you told me to retire the nickname Godius. Retire it. Imagine that. I mean, I definitely may or may not have said that. Yeah. So 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 when when it comes down to support and who deserves credit, you know, for being on Young Slay, aka Godius, you know, is it the person who drafts them in the fifth round of a dynasty league? Or is it the person who puts hundreds of real American dollars on him when he's 4900 on DraftKings in week 14? See, that, that's a very good argument. But I was the one hyping him up in April. In April, you finally got on to the Darius Slayton bandwagon in November. That's like eight months. Eight months. I was already on the Darius Slayton train. I had him in every single league. I knew this kid was going to be something. 6-2, ran a 4-4 at the combine on a Giants wide receiver depth chart that only has Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, two receivers who are always hurt. I was on Darius Slayton. Yeah, but, I mean, the the thing about it, though, is that I just I got laughed out the room. I got laughed off the He definitely pod. did. In week 14, when I called him a cash game lock, and my son went on to demolish the Eagles with five catches for 150 yards and two tutties, 35.4 DK points. And that's not even to mention that they basically stopped throwing to him in the second half. You know, that could have been a 50-point DK game. That could have been an all-timer. Yeah, and then you also played him the week after, the week before, and he, you know, scored a solid seven points. So the, the variance goes both ways, pal. <laughs> variance. Yeah, all right. Let's get into the show. <laughs> You're bugged. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 70 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, and as always, I'm joined by Joey Carrion, and today, we've got a fun show lined up. We're going to be joined by our first ever guest, football guys, staff writer, and best ball expert, James Brimacombe, aka Eagles, on Twitter. We're going to sit down with him and discuss best ball theory. We're going to take a look at some of the rookie ADPs and the drafts that have happened since the NFL draft. And then finally, we're going to close out the show with some of the top available values for you, the listener, to exploit and profit off of right now in best ball drafts. But before we do that, Joey, would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast? 
As always, you can support the podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes or you could follow us on Spotify and SoundCloud. That's where the podcast gets posted to. So you go ahead and listen on those platforms. And if you would like, you can also leave a rating and review as it helps us out a ton. And it also could help us be discovered to new people. And then we're also on Instagram and Twitter at the DFS Dose where the majority of our content gets posted to. And those are the best way to support the podcast. So go ahead, follow us on those uh, social media platforms. Go subscribe to our iTunes and Spotify and sail to the money. Do it. All right. So before James joins us, let's give the people a quick synopsis of what best ball is. If they are unaware, best ball is a format of redraft fantasy which cuts out a lot of the nonsense of a standard redraft fantasy league. And, you know, by some of the nonsense, I mean pretty much all of it. You don't set lineups, you can't make trades, and there are no free agent slash waiver wire pickups. You enter the league, you draft your team, and then the highest scoring players get automatically put into your lineup at the end of the week and whichever team scores the most points over the 16-week regular season wins the league. You know, it's pretty simple. You can join leagues with $1 buy-ins. You can find leagues that are, you know, up to $2,500 buy-ins if you're a big baller. Uh, You know, there's a lot of different platforms that you can draft on, you know, just like with DFS. And, you know, to that point, I really do believe that DFS and best ball have a lot of shared DNA. And uh, once James joins the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, Joey, am I forgetting anything in terms of, you know, what best ball is right now? No, I mean, best ball is just a pretty simple fantasy football format. You just draft the players, you know, that you like, and it automatically sets the lineups for you with your high scoring players. It's honestly very simple. Yeah, it is very simple. And there are a few platforms that you can play on. We'll get into them in a, in a little while, but you know, some that you might already be familiar with FFPC, which does all the high stakes stuff uh, for all types of formats of dynasty. You've got best ball tens, which is, you know, kind of like the OG used to be MFL tens. It's owned by league safe and my fantasy league. You know, Yahoo has them, but I think they cap the amount of entries you can do. So if you're, you know, really trying to volume draft, it might be harder, you know, to get uh, your volume in on Yahoo. And there are a couple others that uh, we're going to cover in a moment here. But without uh, any further ado, let's get James on the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, exciting stuff. It is now time to welcome our guest to the show. This guest is a man who writes for footballguys.com. He is a man who, if you've drafted in best ball leagues in the past, you've probably run into him more than once. A man who grew up in Toronto but bleeds midnight green, of course. I'm talking about James Brimacombe, a.k.a. Eagles with three Zs. James, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Hey, I'm great. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of rookie to these podcasts, so I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we wanted to sort of pivot away from DFS in the offseason and talk about best ball. And, you know, you're someone who I followed on Twitter a while uh, for the best ball takes, but, you know, more than that, you know, last year on draft, I think you were in just about every draft that I was in. So, you know, I, I know that you know what you're talking about, and uh, hopefully you can bring some of that experience to, to our listeners. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll try try my best. <laughs> so uh, so the Eagles screen name, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so I grew up, like you said, in Toronto, Canada. Um, grew up crazy. Everything there is hockey. So that was in my blood. Played hockey growing up. Um, followed hockey, watched hockey, did hockey cards every everything you could think of but yeah just had an older brother 
basically eight years older than me and he he would always be watching football so i just uh started watching games with him even at the time we had uh we went we actually had season tickets to the toronto argonauts so cfl fans right here nice nice <laughs> but but yeah but he just started watching and uh he, his team was the Steelers, so I'd watch like every Steelers game when I was like twelve or yeah, twelve, thirteen, and I just remember one time watching games with them, and uh, I was happened to see the Eagles game, and Randall Cunningham was playing and running around the field and making plays, and yeah, I was kind of amazed by him. So I, I mean, I didn't want to have the same team as him. I didn't want to be a Steelers fan, so kind of how I chose the Eagles and never looked back. <laughs> never looked back, yeah. No, that, that's the way to go. You know, I think what something that's kind of interesting is how there's like a push from certain sectors of the fantasy community to almost like expunge actual real life football fandom from like fantasy. It's some sort of weird, you know, pseudo superiority complex where, you know, certain analysts look down on other analysts for, you know, still looking at fantasy through any kind of lens except for, you know, numbers and profitability. And, you know, I'm not saying that if you're a Jets fan, you should take Sam Darnold in the first round, but I don't think that you need to be completely devoid of any NFL fandom or emotions to be a successful fantasy analyst. And, you know, that's evident. I mean, just look at my co-host here, who's probably the most biased fantasy analyst I've ever met in my life. Um, You know, this guy told me last week that Jared Stidham is a better option for the Patriots than former MVP Cam Newton or Andy Dalton, who took the Bengals to five consecutive playoff games. Joe, you have a response to that? (laughs) Yeah, see, Ben likes to consider me biased when I present logical arguments to him as, as to why Stidham will be a good option for the Patriots. So I guess it is what it is. I suppose. I mean, I'm a Lions fan, but I don't think I'm biased. You know, I'm pretty uh, I mean, you know, a pessimistic the, Lions fan. Let, let's be real. It's mm-hmm. the Detroit Patriots, okay? Okay. Not the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some shared blood. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, James, you got you got maybe like a, an Eagle-centric take you want to get before we get into the real, uh, you know, best ball meat and potatoes of the show? Any any 2020 Eagles takes? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, For me... Uh, there's been a lot of pushback lately just with uh, Carson Wentz, you know, like the way he ended last season, just going out just first few plays of the playoff game. That was like devastating for any Eagles fan. And yeah, that was just an awful game to watch after that. And then they go out and draft uh, Hertz in the second round and it's kind of a head scratcher move. But now you're seeing Wentz just uh, his ADP sliding back down. The wide receivers on the Eagles, nobody really knows. Like, they have maybe eight guys now, and they're all kind of kind of in the same spectrum. We don't know if Jeffrey's going to be, you know, he might not play to week five. Who knows? Um, Jackson, now they got Rieger, and they draft three other rookie speedsters, and, you know, Greg Ward. and But they have they have a lot of, a lot of guys. So Zach Ertz and Goddard and then Miles Sanders emerging. And Boston Scott, that both of those backs can catch catch passes. Kind of my hot take is uh, Wentz is he's obviously not going to be a running quarterback anymore after the injury um, a couple of years ago. Uh, so he's not going to be in the Lamar or Mahomes or Kyler or even uh, Dak Prescott right now because he doesn't have that added. But uh, I think he has potential to to throw a lot of touchdowns this year. So I kind of like him as kind of my quarterback five to be honest so i don't know if that's a hot take or not and <laughs> that's where i'm at i mean I, I definitely i mean i don't it's not crazy hot i definitely think that's 
you know, within his range. He's definitely not being drafted that way if you look at ADP. I mean, I don't know off the top of my head. He's got to be in the top 10, though. Uh, probably, what, like six or seven? Uh, yeah, he's probably in, the, in that range. Right around Wilson and those guys. But, I mean, I, I think he belongs in that tier. Joe, you got any uh, Wentz, Wentz talk you want to get out there? Not really Wentz talk. Um, honestly, I'm not too sure of him as, like, the, the Eagles. I know he's their franchise quarterback, but I don't know if he really is, especially since they drafted Jalen Hurts, which was a head-scratcher to me. But I do have an Eagles player that I love, and that is Miles Sanders. I know James just brought him up. But I, I think Miles Sanders is – a first-round pick this year. That's my Eagles hot take. I think he is going to just get a huge workload, and he's going to be a great pick um, for redrafts, especially in the end of the first round, early second round. Yeah, so he, he's actually, yeah, like you said, I'm doing a lot of these drafts, so I'm probably in like 70 live drafts right now. But, yeah, he's going in the first round every time now. Yeah. So he was like a month ago before the draft, everything. He was like a third round pick. So yeah, every time I was get, he's one of my highest owned players. But now, now that he's a first first round pick, it's gonna slide back a little bit. So I'm gonna push back a little bit on that. But I still like him first second round, just like you said. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with that. I like uh, I like Sanders quite a bit as well. Him and Austin Eckler are two guys in that range that I'm a big fan of, especially if we're talking full PPR. But Let's get into this best ball talk, you know. So you just said you were in 70 live drafts at the moment. How many best ball teams would you say that you draft in an average year? Okay, so let's go back. I probably started maybe four or five years ago doing the best ball. When I first started, it was a handful, maybe like 10, 10 or so. Then the next year, it's like, oh, that was fun. So I did maybe 50 in 07. Uh, 08, I ramped that up. I was doing probably close to 1,000 that year. And then last year is about 2,500. Um, but at the same time, I was playing on draft and RIP. Draft is no more. And draft had a lot of ways that they had smaller buy-ins, lower buy-ins, so I could play for a dollar each league, and also I could auto draft. So basically, I could set my rankings, and then I would just draft 10 teams, and then I would look at those 10 teams, and I'd see what players I was getting, and then I would customize my rankings. So every day, I was probably adjusting my rankings three three times, <laughs> just to kind of even out my players and who I liked and who I was getting at what values. But yeah, those days are gone. <laughs> that, that they are, which you know brings me to sort of my next question. You know, FanDuel seemingly managed to squander this golden opportunity with people stuck at home, quarantined, bored, eager to gamble, and really no you know, super superior best ball product to replace our beloved draft. And, you know, draft had the best app from the, from basically the time they came out. You know, a lot of the other ones are clunky. Uh, you know, I started my best ball, you know, getting into best ball with MFL 10s back in the day, which is now best ball 10s. But, you know, even to this day, they're still incredibly clunky, especially on, you know, desktop in terms of their notifications and stuff. Draft was always perfect. So, you know, what, what, platforms are you using now now that draft is gone and and you know why uh you're that platform i suppose okay so right now in the industry i think there's four formats so right now we have like the best ball tens like you said they're kind of the grandfather right of the of all best ball um then you have the ffpc so that's kind of a more of a higher buy-in so you're going to get a lot more sharper players um yeah so if you have the cash that's probably uh, deeper rosters, which is, is 
really nice. Then the two I've been playing so far, I've also been playing the Bestwell 10s as well, just at a smaller rate. Um, but Yahoo, I think they might have the easiest, uh, just the draft room. It's pretty easy to draft there. You set your rankings. Um, I played there last year. I played, so they, they have a maximum. You can only draft 50 teams with Yahoo. So interesting. So last year I did Yahoo, but I was doing, I didn't know the limit. So I was doing like one and $5 leagues. Um, and then I maxed out like in July or something. So I couldn't do any more. But the nice part about Yahoo, they, they have a uh, weekly prizes. So if your team hits the, say week two, you're the highest scoring team. You actually get some cash out. So, so it actually was probably the most profitable, but it's also the site that you can't get as much volume in. So, and then, then the new draft is come and gone and there's no FanDuel. Um, I don't, I'm I could go on and on about FanDuel about, about <laughs> ruining best ball, but, uh, yeah, all our hardcore best ballers, we, we got to find any action we can right now. Right. So. Um, I came across this other site. It's called Drafters. Um, it's a fairly new site, um, but it also has an app, so I can do it on my phone. I can do a higher volume, has lower buy-ins. So I've been doing most of my drafts there. I can do, that's where I said I was doing 70. So they're just slow drafts, uh, 10 and 12 man drafts. It, it has a few hiccups, but it's it's the best product I've found for what I like to do playing best ball all right yeah I'm, I'm gonna have to give that one a look you know i haven't used drafters yet but i've seen some screenshots and stuff like that on twitter you know just the ui you know the aesthetics of it it looks very similar to draft which is obviously you know enticing because that was one of the reasons that they were you know top dog in you know the available right. options so uh, I'll definitely have to give drafters a look if that is what the high volume players are on these days. And I, I also like being able to enter multiple lower uh, lower dollar buy-ins as well. So definitely going to give that a look. So in terms of you know our audience, most of the people who listen to our podcast are DFS players. And you know I wanted to run this theory by you. Uh, you know my theory is that a DFS player's skill set is more translatable to best ball than really any other form. Of fantasy football. You know, I think a good DFS player is going to implement a lot of the similar things into his or her process that a successful best ball drafter is going to do. You know, a lot of the core concepts that'll make you profitable in DFS, I think are things that if you master in best ball, you know, you'll, you'll see dividends to that. You know, for example, stacking, uh, understanding game selection, understanding the payout structure of the, the league that you join and how to adjust your draft accordingly. You know, identifying misprices that that comes into uh, you know effect in both in both formats. So, what do you think about that theory? Agree or disagree? And and just sort of you know give your take on that. Uh, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, when I first I actually joined FanDuel probably in 2010, so I was one of the I don't know when they exactly started, but uh, and it's kind of like one of those things, right? I chose FanDuel right from the start, so I've been kind of more loyal to there. Where maybe I should be pushing back on DraftKings, um, but I've always enjoyed uh, just the game theory it goes along with DFS and just right from the start uh, it was game changing for me when I when I started and FanDuel's been good to me I've had some great years and yeah there was a time where my wife would just kind of you know you're playing fantasy football and kind of joking about it but then 
I had a few big paydays from FanDuel, and yeah, she she actually embraces it now and loves it. So it's kind of been fun, fun in that area. But yeah, as far as best ball goes, it is kind of it came along a few years ago when I when it caught my eye, and it really had all the makings of everything I enjoyed from daily fantasy. And then uh, daily fantasy every year just. Uh, it, it it gets harder and harder so it's harder to crack it's harder to beat it's harder you know just the competition's just just a lot more advanced than what it was when it first started and it, it's still beatable but there's just different strategies in different ways but yeah as far as transitioning to best ball it's been i feel i feel like the early days of when i started dfs so i have a, a little bit of advantage and maybe there's a lot of things that people don't quite know yet, but they like drafting and they try best ball. But then if you, if you've been playing it and you know, the rules, you know, the ins and outs, it kind of, it gives you advantage. If, if you want that big payday the next day, you're not going to get that in best ball. But if you like to look at the numbers and track it and track all the players and track your, your ownership, then then best ball is a blast. It can give you that same, same satisfaction. Um, that I don't know, and, and last the last few years draft had the tournaments. That was a lot like DFS, right? Yes, absolutely. More more like a GPP opposed to like how a lot of them are cash games, essentially. Uh, right. You know, baseball drafts. Right. I don't know if that so answers I, your question or <laughs> that's. Yeah, yeah. So you know, in, in, as it relates uh, back to some of those concepts, you know. If you were giving advice to somebody who's sort of just getting into best ball, who you know has a DFS background, you know, what what a what skill would you sort of have them emphasize? Would it be identifying ADP misprices the same way that they identify salary cap misprices? Would it be figuring out how to get your player exposures? under control the same way that, you know, a mass multi-entry player would do for running a script in DFS or, you know, would it be bankroll management? I mean, what, what would you tell a new player to sort of hone in on in, in terms of making themselves a better best ball drafter? Okay. Yeah. If you're just starting best ball, what I'd say is, you know, just put a few bucks in there and try 10 different leagues, see what you like. Don't even think about, don't even worry about your rankings, whatever. Just play them, see, you know, put 10 bucks or whatever it is, a dollar each draft. Um, just try them out. Um, and then and then you kind of get a feel for how it runs. And, and then from there, I think you can kind of make adjustments and you can, you can read some articles. You can look at how you should construct a roster. Um, you can, a big thing that I... So a lot of these leagues, there's 18 players. You have a roster of 18, and I want every one of those roster spots to matter. So I I don't take a lot of risk. I'm looking at more how I construct the lineup. I like to have a certain number of each position. And then I like to look at my player ownership because I play such a high volume. So I, I learned a lesson where I was 40%, 50% on players, and then they, they got hurt in week two. And then I'm down to 17 players on my best ball roster. And that's, you know, that's not a situation that I, that that's profitable in, in my opinion. So I like to limit my ownership on certain players to the 20 to 25% range. Um, sometimes maybe 30%, but not, not very often, unless it's a, a amazing value that I'm getting each draft. Yeah. For new players, it's, 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 
it's a whole different game. It's just strategy. It's it's fun. It's just it's every draft's different. Um, so that's what another thing I'd say is don't approach every draft like, hey, I want to get this player, this player, this player, or I want to go running back, running back, running back to start. So sometimes it's fun. Hey, I'm going to go tight end, tight end, and I'm going to take Lamar in the third round and just just try all the different ways. Um, eventually, the more you draft, you you basically know ADP in and out when you're drafting so many of these adjust your rankings as you go that's one of the key things that i think um follow the news follow any any news tidbit out there is going to drive a player up or down or or the opposite say if it's um chris thompson signed in jacksonville as the running back right so you mm-hmm. so you got um, the value of him, people might not be on him. Maybe he's a last round pick, or maybe the Armstead now is kind of bumped down some. Um, where do you put Fournette? So you got to think about every move almost, and you kinda, I kind of adjust my rankings as I go. And yeah, it, it helps you follow the news. It helps you know, kind of know the league inside and out. Yeah. So something you had mentioned uh, before we started recording that I thought was really interesting and kind of like. Uh, you know, put into words a thought that I had had in my head. But, you know, when it comes to DFS, when a player is mispriced, you know, say the running back gets hurt, Mm -hmm. the prices are already out, you know, that backup running back is going to be 80% owned. So the value in, you know, tracking the news, like you're saying, and identifying that misprice and trying to exploit it is reduced because the entire field is on it. However, in, in best ball, you know, you can often like hammer those misprices for months on end. Uh, you know, right. and, and there are like different time periods, you know, on the best ball calendar. There's pre-draft where all the rookies are, you know, pushed way down the board. And we'll get into rookies in a minute here. Um, and, and then post-draft, they all skyrocket. And, you know, it, it's just like before that you have months, you know, you have from February until, you know, the end of April to hammer value on those rookies. And then the same thing goes, you know, right after the draft, you can sort of, you know, attack these players that people might be down on post-draft but they're not really seeing the, the full picture, I guess. Yeah, for sure. That That is probably the biggest advantage in best ball, if you, if you can understand that concept. And this, that's why I was mad at FanDuel for not, not putting best ball product out there because I want to hit these as soon as the Super Bowl's over. I'm ready for the next year because I want like February, March, April, every one of those months I can get different values. I can get all my rookies before the draft at, at a great value. I can get free agents that... You know, they're probably going to sign with such a team and I can get them five rounds at value. That's one of the main things that I think best ball where you can find that advantage. And like you said, it could last for two months. You could be getting those values and and values. It it changes after the draft. Everyone wants those rookies Um, and best ball. It's not always the best to, to overdraft those rookies it kind of hurts your team overall in my opinion joey do you have anything uh, you want to add here in this theory section before we get right into the rookies yeah i just i think a lot of dfs theories um like you guys have been talking about really do translate to best ball and to other types of fantasy just obviously about identifying misprices and capitalizing on those. Just on the whole FanDuel and even DraftKings, like I think it's just a terrible business move to not have a best ball product out for either of those two companies because obviously those are the leading, you know, companies in DFS and they could they could easily make so much money 
if they put out a best ball product, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah, and FanDuel owns Draft, if I'm not mistaken. And part of the reason Draft shut down is because they wanted, you know, FanDuel wanted to integrate it into their, you know, their business, essentially. And the first thing I thought when I heard that was like, all right, that sucks about Draft. But this means that DraftKings is going to respond. And and like James talked about getting in with FanDuel early and sort of having a loyalty, I'm the same way just with DraftKings. And I think that DraftKings, one of the ways that they have always been ahead is just in, you know, their UI and their getting on the site, the way it looks, the way it feels, how smooth it is. I feel like DraftKings mm-hmm. has always had that advantage. And I was really yeah. hoping that FanDuel's move with Draft was going to sort of, you know, light that fire for DraftKings to get into the best ball arena. And it just hasn't happened. And like James had mentioned, you know, they're kind of squandering those valuable early months of the best ball calendar. I mean, it'll be nice if they get it fixed by next season, but they've kind of, you know, lost some of the biggest and best times to get in uh early value so it's sort of over for for 2020 in my opinion well the one thing i would say about say if uh fanduel or DraftKings got in the game now or even in a month or two would be that's where i would try to do tournament teams i imagine that's what they would come up with more of a tournament based mm-hmm. teams so that's where i'm going to try to get all my other just regular 10 12 man leagues everywhere else and then if FanDuel DraftKings comes up with that then I can put part of my bankroll to to those tournaments but I'm not gonna hold my breath on that so yeah there, there also might be a, something about sort of getting a broader audience if one of these major companies got in the game because you know best ball tens uh drafters like these are kind of niche companies where you know yeah if you're like a degenerate like us on Twitter doing best ball in February like yeah you're gonna know about this stuff but I feel like DraftKings and FanDuel might broaden the range of people who actually play best ball, which would be good and, you know, would give people who've been playing for years uh, an advantage as we get a bunch of fish and new players in, in the yeah. pool, which would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like a lot of our listeners, you know, just our average daily fantasy players just looking for advice and probably don't even know what best ball is or have never even heard of it. So it's just a missed opportunity all around yeah but let's get into some player discussion you know the the real interesting stuff enough theory so uh we'll break this down into two into two sort of segments one i just sort of wanted to look at where rookie adp is sort of evening out after the draft so i looked at uh you know adp values in drafts that have basically been done since about april 27th the day after the draft finished until now so uh you know these are where people are sort of initially valuing these rookies and then after we cover that uh we'll talk about you know some values uh some nfl veteran values that we like out there as well so you know looking at these rookie adps and just sort of the rookie strategy in general james uh why don't you get us kicked off here uh what what stands out to you obviously the rookie running backs that's those are the ones i want to look at those are the names i want to worry about um to start out because they're gonna running backs in general that that's kind of where fantasy's at these days you want to hit those running backs you want to find which ones are are going to take off um to the next level the next year so yeah there's there's some good rookies and some good spots this year it's just every one of these rookies has somebody that was the starter last year and basically had a pretty decent season so i i'm having a hard time just going all in and jumping on these rookies uh, especially for best ball if it was redraft or um obviously dynasty that's a whole different discussion but for best ball yeah unless it's a tournament like there's no tournaments right now so just just playing the regular 
10 12 man leagues um i don't i, I don't want to overdraft these rookies if they fall to me i will take them um before the draft i got a lot of shares of, of all the rookies um basically almost for free so so looking at just uh clyde edwards hilaire just he's probably the he's going to be the talk for months going right up to the season right <laughs> there's going to be hype built around Absolutely. him he's just in the best offense super bowl team every everything is in his favor andy reed i already compared him to brian westbrook um but you have to remember he's still a rookie they still they still have damian williams who probably should have been the super bowl mvp but maybe i shouldn't say that but yeah and then they have washington and they have daryl williams too so there's four running backs there i don't think they need to give him the ball 60 percent of the times for all those running backs so he might only see 35 40 percent of of the touches so but yeah he he's probably explosive and he has a better chance of in the red zone and different different areas to get those touchdowns but is he really worth a second round pick i don't i don't know about that you would you rather have hilaire second round or williams in the eighth round that's that's where i'm at <laughs> yeah it's definitely a, a interesting sort of duality that you get there what do, what do you think about these joe you want to give a take yeah so i mean with the edwards hilaire and damian williams i mean i'd rather have damian williams in the eighth or ninth round i mean i put out a tweet the other day tagging uh, my fantasy league or i traded 306 in mine and ben's rookie draft for damian williams and i thought that was a pretty good trade so i wanted to see like how everybody would respond to it and and, and of course you know they're all like edward tiller is going to be the starter whatever whatever and i just don't think that's true i think damian williams is going to be the starter i mean it's reported that he still is a starter you know it's four months until the season starts so a lot can change until then but I think Damian Williams is a good value, and they're probably going to split close to 50-50 if I had to make a prediction. So I'd rather uh, be all in on Damian Williams than Edward Solaire at this point. I, th- I think these uh, rookie running backs are being uh, overdrafted, in my opinion. Like, for example, Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins are the RB25 and RB26 um, in ADP right now, but you can get David Johnson as the RB27. I mean, personally, I'd rather have David Johnson at RB27 than those two rookies that are behind established players in the Rams and the Ravens offense. Yep, exactly. I agree with that wholeheartedly, especially in the case of Akers and Dobbins, who I think are kind of, it's kind of being like underlooked at how full those running back rooms are. You know, you've got Ingram, uh, Justice Hill, Gus the Bus, the great Gus the Bus uh, in Baltimore, and then Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown, that the Rams showed interest in, you know, Daryl Henderson last year, and Malcolm Brown, I think he was a second-round tender. So, you know, they clearly value him, whether or not, you know, Akers beats them out. I think he probably does, but still, you know, when you're talking about taking them as a back-end running back, too, it's just... Yeah, I mean, give me give me somebody like David Johnson who's going to have, you know, a ton of receptions, I think, in that, that Texans offense. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with all those takes as well. What about some of the wide receivers, though? Um, you know, rookie wide receivers, less likely to hit, obviously, and be, you know, early career producers the same way that a running back can just jump into an offense and, you know, be an instant uh, high-end fantasy asset. But I think some of these rookie wide receivers and what's, you know, expected to be sort of an all-time wide receiver class, I think that they have uh, 
you know, some some interest. So do you guys uh, have any strong takes on these rookie wide receivers? I mean, for me, I don't know if James agrees, but I think Rager has the potential to severely outperform his ADP. Um, he's being drafted as the wide receiver 52, and he's only behind a hurt Alshon Jeffrey, who's going to start the season on the pup list, Deshaun Jackson, who's, what, like 33 years old, and he was injured for the entire 2019 season. Mm-hmm. And then they have Greg Ward, who was, what, an undrafted quarterback coming out of college, turn wide receiver, and then J.J. Arthago Whiteside, who they drafted in the second round, who really busted last year. I think Rager has the potential to step in as the Eagles wide receiver one and be productive, you know, right off the bat to start his career. Yeah, I mean, I I do like Rager. Just uh, so well, my problem with the rookies wide receivers is uh, for best ball, I'm I'm gonna want these guys in round sixteen to eighteen, and I'm gonna take a shot on one of them, and I'm gonna switch it. I'm gonna switch it up. So so I want these guys to be my wide receiver seven or wide receiver six. I don't want to rely on these guys. That's like my wide receiver four in a best ball. That's that's not going to end well for for what I've seen in the past. Just when it comes to rookie wide receivers, but yeah, I like I like Rager. I with the Eagles, I just think that it could be five players that all have six hundred yards. Like I just don't know which one to pick. So that's why I started the show. I was talking about Wentz because I just think I think he just has has more weapons and more healthy players around him, and I just think that he's my target when it comes to Eagles and along with Sanders, but Rager, yeah, I like him at the end, but also I'm starting to really grow on Justin Jefferson, just um, the Vikings. I I think he could be just with Rager. um, Either one of those guys could, could lead the rookies in, in receiving Uh, obviously Judy and lamb. They're the, they're the top of the class, but they're in situations that I'm not as crazy about. Yeah, um, just briefly, I mean, Joey, straight disrespect, not uh, mentioning Marquise Goodwin when when citing uh, the Eagles wide receivers. <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean, I mean, I'm all in on Quez Watkins in Dynasty too, so <laughs> might as well bring him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, I agree with pretty much all those points as well. Especially, you know, Judy Lamb, two guys that I love. You know, for their future prospects, I think they're going entirely too high. You know, Judy's about. Uh, actually they're both right around pick 100 and that's just, just so much downside built into that ADP that, you know, they're, they're pretty much stone fades for me. The one guy that I do like that you can get in that wide receiver six, seven range that James was mentioning. And, you know, this won't come to a shock to anybody who's listened to our past few episodes, Denzel Mims. I mean, you know, talk about following the news. Quincy Anun was not playing for the Jets this year. Uh, they've got Jamison Crowder, who plays an entirely different type of wide receiver than Mims. And really, Mims' path to year one targets is pretty clear. You know, they've got Brashad Perryman, Robbie Anderson's gone, and, and really there's not much there. So I think that Mims is going to come in, and I think he has a chance to be the best wide receiver that Sam Darnold has pretty much ever had. I know he fell in the NFL draft compared to some people's expectations, but eventually I do think the talent is going to work itself out. And I, I like him quite a bit. I mean, ADP 178 wide receiver 66. I mean, to me that that's a lot of value right there with, with pretty much minimal risk built in. Yeah. I, I do see Mims there right at the last round a lot of times. So I, I have taken him a few times and 
I, I do. Anybody on the Jets right now is a value, though. So you can take Crowder as a value. You can take Perriman. He's 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 only a couple of rounds ahead of him. So um, yeah, everyone's a value in in New York. So yeah, I agreed with that. Darnold included, and and sort of speaking of quarterbacks, there's not really a tight end I think is worth mentioning uh, in this discussion. But Joe Burrow, we should bring up. Uh, he's going as the QB 19, so sort of back end, mid range, quarterback two. James, what do you think about you know Joe Burrow? Just to sort of give people perspective if they're not you know familiar with ADP, he's going ahead of guys like Kirk Cousins, Jimmy G, Drew Locke, Philip Rivers, and he's going just behind guys like uh, Jared Goff, Big Ben, Tannehill, etc. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so my my whole view of quarterbacks when it comes to best ball is I want to draft three. So I'm always I'm a three quarterback person. I always have been. I've been trying to people try to talk me into only taking two and whatever like the numbers say two is better. But yeah, I want three because I wanna I wanna get uh, quarterbacks the position you can score the most points each week. And best ball, I want to get the most points I can every single week. And I can get I can get all these quarterbacks so late. So I'm taking three starting quarterbacks in every draft, and it's, it makes sense to me. But yeah, Burrow. For sure, I want him in my quarterback pool. I want him as as my quarterback too on a lot of teams. That's where I'm getting him. Uh, I think he has upside. I think he has more upsides than guys like Cousins and Garoppolo. Cincinnati looks. I mean, who knows what AJ Green's gonna do? Is he gonna play a full season? Imagine if he plays a full season. Burrow's even gonna be that much better. Like the bang and and Mixon. If Mixon's doesn't hold out. Uh, the Bengals are set up on offense, in my opinion. Um, and Burrow, yeah, as a quarterback 19, he could finish the year as QB 10, 12, like in, in that range. So I think there's a little bit of value with him. Um, I do like Goff. Goff is one of my rebound guys. So a lot of times I'll take uh, my quarterbacks or any, any player, actually. I'm looking for value, so I'm looking for guys that had off year last year or maybe the last game of the year or the playoff game that kind of messed up, screwed up. Um, those guys often people remember those last plays or remember those, uh, just the bad year they had. So you're going to get them in drafts so far down. Um, and when you're doing best ball, it's not about the player. It's about what three quarterbacks do I have? It's not about, Oh, I drafted Goff as my quarterback, but what other two guys is he paired with? And five or six weeks out of the year, he's gonna put up three touchdowns, and yeah, he's he scores me best ball points those weeks. So that's how I look at that. And yeah, I'm gonna roll roll with Burrow. And as far as far as the other rookie quarterbacks go, I'm not gonna take chances on them uh, just because there's no clear path to for them to to be the starting quarterback because I want I want a starter all 16 games like that's that's what I'm shooting for yeah you know I I totally agree with that and the only the only situation in which I would disagree about taking some of the other quarterbacks is if you were in one of those draft style uh you know tournaments where taking a guy with low ownership is actually going to benefit you like it doesn't benefit you in a regular best ball league to get that you know one percent owned guy you know in in a draft you know tournament style type best ball draft you know you get that guy he takes over the job in week 10 you know you might be getting points that all these other people are not getting and and that can get you you know some leverage and some edge there but just in these standard leagues I think Burrow's pretty much the only rookie quarterback that we need to have on our radar at all and and 
Yeah, I totally agree with all the points you made about his weapons and stuff. Joe, you got a Burrow take? Yeah, I think Burrow will have a pretty good year just for all the reasons you guys mentioned. And, you know, I'll always have love for Joe Burrow because he hugged his dad, <laughs> you know, when he got drafted. And he won me money, so hey, that's that's just a plus. Just for the rest for of his career. So I'll always be a Joe Burrow fan, and I think he is a good value. Okay, all right. I think that's pretty good as far as rookie talk. We can move on to our final segment here. Um, you know, we talked there, we've talked rookies, but you know, let's, let's make our listeners some money right now. You know, what ADP values can we take advantage of right now in drafts that people can join right now? You know, I think post NFL draft, uh, you know, real NFL draft, I think a lot of groupthink sort of overtakes the community and it gives, you know, people who look at it more in depth and put time into it, you know, a good chance to find some leverage and, and sort of separate themselves. So, Joey, why don't we start with you? Why don't you give me a value that you're all over in these drafts? All right, so one player that I will be targeting is kind of not a shock to Ben, but it may be to James. Darius Slayton, Mm. he's getting drafted around pick 98. I know Ben has a little infatuation uh, with Darius Slayton. So, but (laughs) but anyways, uh, he's so he's getting drafted as the wide receiver 40. So just in that you know mid tier wide receiver four range, which may be you know, too high for him as he was a rookie wide receiver last year, but he had eight touchdowns, 740 receiving yards last year and 15.4 yards per reception with Daniel Jones in only 14 games. Um, he was 11th in the NFL in average target air yards and he, and he had 25% of the giants air yards last season as well. So he's a big play threat wide receiver who has the potential to score on any given play as we saw in a couple games um maybe james will remember in a game against the eagles he scored two touchdowns went off for 165 yards um just abused the eagles cornerbacks but and also what i think (laughs) what i what i think also plays a part is right now the schedules came out today and the giants are predicted to have the second toughest schedule which means they're going to be projected to be in a lot of favorable game scripts where they're going to have to throw the ball. So I think that, you know, boosts Darius Slayton's value even more for me personally. And then they have Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, but they were both hurt last year. Or Sterling Shepard had three concussions, if I'm not mistaken, which could end a career. And then Golden Tate missed, I believe, five to six games last year. So Slayton could easily be the wide receiver one on the Giants and – Personally, I'm all over the Giants' offense this year in uh, best ball. I think that's a great team to stack. The Giants' offense, I should say. Uh, you, know, I don't even need to give my two cents. You know, I'm right there with you. I agree with that. James uh, Darius Slayton. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with Slayton, and he is a. I mean, he he can explode for an 80 yard touchdown anytime, right? We saw we saw that. Yeah, I do remember that Eagles game. That was painful, <laughs> but he kind of came out of nowhere. And uh, yeah, I think a full year with Daniel Jones, uh, no more Eli Manning, and uh, hopefully a healthy Saquon. That the Giants do, they do look good. Um, I don't know about Evan Ingram. I'm not sure like if he's gonna be ready to go start the season. So maybe that even helps Slayton out. He just always hurts. Yeah, it's 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 so tough to see with Ingram. He He's such a talented player, but it seems like he's always missing games. Yeah, I, I personally haven't been able to decide between Sterling Shepard and and Slayton, so I'm kind of, I kind of go back and forth on both of them. So I'm I'm probably like, 
I don't know, seven, eight percent on both of those players. Just I haven't, I haven't went one way or the other. So James, how about a player that uh, you know you are going to a lot? Someone that you wanna wanna put your name behind here? Uh, I think my favorite pick this year in best ball is uh, Marquise Brown, Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is constantly around sixth, seventh, eighth round. You can get him. I just don't think Lamar's gonna be. He's not gonna put up those rushing numbers that he has been and. Uh, Brown's going to be healthier this year. I, I just think there's potential for him just to have a huge year. He could be, you know, top ten wide receiver. Like it's kind of crazy to think that, but he really could. And I, I love getting him as like my wide receiver four um, by like round seven. Like that, that that's a big time target for me. No, I mean I, I agree with you as far as Hollywood Brown goes. I mean, you know, he was very productive when he was able to stay healthy. They didn't really add anything to that offense except for Devin Duvernay late, and you know, he's more so a slot Willie Sneed replacement, I think, than really a threat to Marquise Brown's targets. So yeah, yeah, I'm down with that as well. Joey, you like uh you like Marquise? Yeah, I like Marquise Brown. We saw what you know, he could do in the first week of the season last year against the Dolphins where he exploded for, you know, 150 yards and two or three touchdowns or whatever he had. I know he had like 40 DraftKings points. Yeah, banked every um, GPP on the site week one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the Lamar to Hollywood stack was the nuts for DraftKings and FanDuel week one. So, you know, I, I like Hollywood Brown. I think he's a good player, and I think he could be very productive, especially if you believe that Lamar doesn't rush for 1,200 yards every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. All right, I'll give one here. Uh, this is someone that I found myself drafting often, and that's Tariq Cohen. And I primarily draft on uh, Best Ball 10, so it's a full PPR site. You know, this may be sort of a different take if we're on a half PPR site, but you know, in terms of full PPR, you know, you're paying a back end running back for price for somebody who realistically has 80 catch upside and a floor that I don't think is much lower. I mean, he's had 70 plus catches in back-to-back seasons. He's getting a quarterback now in Nick Foles, who will be, you know, a less likely to keep the ball and run it as Trubisky was and B, you know, had a pretty decent track record of being willing to dump the ball off. You know, Foles only got significant snaps behind center twice last year for Jacksonville. But, you know, in those two games, Fournette averaged 9.5 targets per game, eight receptions per game, including uh, a season-high 12-target game in Week 12. So I think Cohen, you know, is just infinitely more effective as a patch catcher than uh, than Lenny was. And, you know, just give me all the Cohen as, as a back-end running back for, absolutely. I just have a question uh, for you. Do you think that Nick Foles is a starter week one for Chicago? I'm assuming you do, but do you think they just don't give Trubisky one last shot? Uh, Absolutely. I don't think they give him one last spot. When they declined his fifth-year option, the writing was on the wall. GG's Mitch Trubisky. All right. Uh, Either of you feel strongly about Cohen one way or the other? Uh, I'll go on that one. I I think Cohen is one of those players. The Bears were not very good last year. Cohen maybe didn't put up the numbers like he did the previous year. Cohen last year was drafted, what, I don't know if he's like fifth, sixth, seventh round last year. So um, he's kind of fallen out of favor by a lot of people. Um, but like like you said, you're, you're finding him as a value, and I think that is a, a good value, especially as you're running back four and a full point PPR. Um, and then, yeah, if you're going with Foles as the quarterback, that could even add some more. But I don't think the Bears are as bad as they were last year. And I think Cohen could have a rebound. And 
that I think he's kind of getting a discount because because of what happened last year with him. And the, and those are the exact kind of players that I want to target. So I, I like it. I'm, I'm on board. All right, sounds good, Joey. Uh, start us off with round two here. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, my second favorite player would be Ian Thomas. So he's getting drafted at an ADP of 146, which is the tight end 20 off the board. And... You know, there's no Greg Olson. There's no corpse of Greg Olson running around on the field with a hurt foot anymore. Um, Teddy Bridgewater is taking over as the starting quarterback, and he's not going to be playing with uh, Kyle Allen. Um, you know, I'll, I will admit, I will accept my my wrongness. That's not a word, but I will accept it. Kyle, I was high on Kyle, Kyle Allen. Ben will vouch you for were this. stupid <laughs> high on him. Oh my especially, god! Especially for DraftKings because he had that one good week against. I'm not sure exactly what team, but he went off for 28 points. Whatever. That's that's hearsay. Um, but Ian Thomas, um, he had 35 catches for 348 yards and three touchdowns on 54 targets when Greg Olson uh, was sidelined last year for nine games. And he's he's just an elite vertical runner, and he ran a four seven four at the combine, which is pretty fast for a tight end. And I think he just has a good shot to outperform um, his ADP, and he's the tight end twenty. And I think if you're just going to take a shot on one of these uh, tight ends, <clears throat> I think Ian Thomas is, is a good shot, and Jarwin as well. Blake Jarwin, um, he's going right right before ian thomas i like him as well and maybe james can speak to this a little better than i can but you know i look at tight end and best ball in one of two ways either you get one of the top mm, call it three guys kelsey kittle and i still i still place Ertz that uh in that category even though he's going a little bit later now than he has in the past in these drafts uh either get one of those guys and then one backup or you basically draft three tight ends that's that's how i do it um, and if I'm if I miss on one of those top guys, I'm definitely going to be looking at Ian Thomas, guys like him, Jarwin, like you said. You know, I like T.J. Hawkinson, sort of in that range as well, um, and, and guys like that. But um, you know, it's sort of a, a response to Ian Thomas and just general tight end strategy, James. Yeah, so I like to go with the three quarterbacks, so that limits me to go with mm-hmm. with two tight ends. So that means I'm usually going with a top, you know, five or six tight end to start out. Um, I'm going to overdraft probably one of those guys. And then Ian Thomas is like the perfect kind of tight end two that I, I like to target. Just whatever one of those tight end twos fall to me, like later in the draft, that's who I'm going to scoop up. But if I had the choice over, you know, Thomas or Sternberger or Goddard and different, I, I don't know. It could, it could go Ian Thomas way. Just there could be upside there. And yeah, I like that, but I'm only going to go two tight ends. So I'm, I kind of want to have that rock solid tight end one to start out. All right, uh, you want you want to give us another player, James? Uh, yeah, yeah. So so I'm looking at my uh, draft drafters. Uh, so it shows me my ownership. So I'm looking at my app here, uh, my ownership, um, and I've done about 200 drafts there. That kind of sh- so this is based off about 200 drafts. Um, but my top my top three owned players are Marquise Brown. Miles Sanders, and the last one I want to talk about is Raheem Moster. So I have all three of those players. I have them 26%, and they're my highest owned. So Moster, yeah, I, I'm getting. I was getting him probably seventh, eighth round, and now he's kind of in the sixth round. Sometimes in the fifth round now. So his value is going up 
but I've I've just been loading up on him all all off season. Like he he's one of my targets. Um, I love getting him as a, a running back three on my team. Like that's that that's that's one of my main targets, in in every draft that I'm in. So if you're in a draft with me, um, I'm probably gonna go with Mostert and Hollywood Brown. Those are my two targets. So you better get them around before me. <laughs> <laughs> is there any reason, you know, is it just sort of the way he closed last year that you put Mostert ahead of, you know, Coleman and the ghost of Jarek McKinnon, who people are sort of starting to remember right about now? Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not going to touch a guy like McKinnon. Anybody that has an injury history, I'm not going to take on my best ball team. Like, I'd rather have somebody else take him. Sure, if I would love if he played 16 games, but I don't want to be the guy that rosters him hoping that happens. So I'm already writing him off. Uh uh, Breida, Breida's gone, so the 49ers love to run the ball. If Mostert would have got the ball more in the third, fourth quarter, the 49ers probably would be Super Bowl champions. Um, yeah, I get Tevin Coleman's there, but, I mean, he f- it felt like every time he touched the ball, he was getting three yards. <laughs> so I, there's going to be a time. I mean, they're going to timeshare there with them, but I I just think even if there's a timeshare, they're going to run the ball. Um, regardless, but I think it'll be more of a two running back committee. I don't think McKinnon's going to be in the mix. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the 49ers are values this year, to be honest. It feels like every draft I'm in, you can almost get those guys for like Debo Samuel, too. Like, if you wanted to add another name, there's another one. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but they, they're just, it feels like they're two rounds too late so they should be two rounds earlier and maybe they will be in a month's time yeah you know i i hadn't really given much thoughts moster but i will now you know i was a little anxious about what they would do in the draft they didn't add anybody and in fact they traded away burrito so i guess his uh, arrow is definitely up right now and i guess uh maybe the last guy i'll talk about here is somebody that i've had in almost all of my drafts up to this point and that's alan lazard you know he is going right now as the 63rd wide receiver off the board uh, you know, I think as we get closer and closer to the season kicking off, he's going to raise up draft boards, but you want to hammer these pricing inefficiencies when you can, like we talked about earlier. You know, uh, the Packers didn't add a wide receiver in the draft. They did add Devin Funchess, but I can tell you right now, I'm not concerned about that whatsoever. And and Lazard already beat out MVS and St. Brown last season, earning the coveted trust of Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, besides Adams, who definitely has a realistic shot to lead the NFL in targets, Lazard has very little competition for market share in that offense. And, you know, James can probably remember back to last year in these best ball drafts, MVS and Geronimo Allison were getting drafted in the eighth or ninth round. You know, people were hoping to land that Packers wide receiver too this season, you know, the path for Lazard to sustain that role is much more clear, I think, than it was for either of those guys last offseason, and you're paying half the price. So uh, I'm all in on Lazard this season. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? From from a process standpoint, like I like the pick. From, just from the process, everything that you mentioned, I, I like the pick. I just don't know if he is a talented player and will stay on the field for the entire season. That's my only worry with Alan Lazard, um, because who knows they they might give MVS and Aquin or Aquinius or Aquin I don't even know how to say his name. Aquinius. <laughs> yeah, hard hard name to say, but they might give St. Brown and MVS uh, another shot to take over the, over that wide receiver two role in the Packers offense. 
So, like I said, I like the process and I like the thought behind the pick. I'm just kind of skeptical on the player. Yeah, I I've been on Lazard just here and there at the end of drafts. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I've heard rumblings like St. Brown maybe he's going to get a shot. So I, I, I don't know. I don't really want to touch any of those Green Bay guys. I feel like I've been burned by them a lot. Um, but, I, I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i perfectly fine taking him as like a wide receiver seven type. And, I mean, right now he is on the depth chart. He's probably is – he, He's just probably their wide receiver too. <laughs> so yeah, and and Lafleur's comments were basically that's the reason. I mean, he was probably playing you know PR damage control, mm-hmm. but he said that Lazard was one of the reasons they didn't take a wide receiver. Uh, you know, because of how they felt about him. And and yeah, I mean, there's definitely risk. Maybe that I didn't mention that you guys are sort of alluding to there, but I just think that risk is mitigated by him being the 63rd wide receiver off the board. But it could definitely go either way. I mean, I was super high on MVS last year, and that burned me, but. You know, much less risk drafting, uh, you know, Lazard as the 63rd guy as opposed to MVS in the eighth round. Well, well, right now, like, Lazard's around. I'm just looking kind of probably, like, around Cole Beasley and Hunter Renfro. Like, those guys are probably have more of a like a floor, right? But Lazard maybe has, like, a higher ceiling. So, yeah, I like him taking him over. Those kind of guys just you have a better shot at hitting a home run maybe all right i mean do you guys have anybody else you want to throw out in this segment before we close things up i mean another tight end that i like is chris herndon he's going right around where lazard is going and i I think he has a good rebound year uh for the jets with sam darnold i uh, so i like chris herndon especially if you're going to three tight end strategy you can get two of these uh, uh late tight ends that that could definitely pay off yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think you guys all hit some good players and, yeah, good strategy. And, yeah, I'm still – I put a tweet out today just, like, I'm still I'm still a sucker for Corey Davis. I keep <laughs> – like, over a guy like Lazard, I'm taking Corey Davis. I'm taking D.D. Mm-hmm. Westbrook, you know. I'm still, like, pounding those guys as my wide receiver six and sevens, just, you know, hoping for a pay mm-hmm. another payday, but probably will never come. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think – Corey Davis lost my trust when I drafted him first overall in Ben's Dynasty League and uh yeah. didn't didn't really work out. And he burned us many times in uh DraftKings over the last two years. So. Many, many times. Oh, <laughs> Been waiting. Yep, yep, I've lost a lot of money with him. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody has. I'm trying trying to win some back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I think that is going to be it for episode 70 of the DFS Dose podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, James, for joining us. As Joey mentioned at the top of the show, you can support the podcast by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, subscribing on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. We're everywhere. Uh, We appreciate the support. And you can follow our personal Twitters. James is going to be at James Brimacomb. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at DFS. All right, and that's going to be it for us. We will be back next week with episode 71, and we will talk to you guys then.